iti rea rea, teitei ka hikatea, ka taia. The small rea rea bird can ascend to the great heights of the kahikatea tree. Ena mana ena reo e tahuri mai ana tēnei te mihi ki a koutou katoa. Welcome to Te Ahikā, Radio New Zealand's Māori Features Programme, giving you insight into the Māori world. I'm Mariah Rakaraku. And I'm Justine Murray. Kia ora tātou katoa. Bellagio Atahua, not only is that a name of a new apartment building in Wellington, but it's also a fusion of te reo Māori. And Italiano. Bellagio is a place in Italy and Atahua is beautiful. But back to the one in Wellington where the apartment buildings are located, which at one stage was the site of a pa known as Te Aro, way back in the day around the 1820s. And during the building of the apartments, Whare Ponga, known as storage huts, were unearthed from that period and, get this, intact. So the developers put a halt to the rest of the construction while they figured out what to do next with what was and is a pretty amazing discovery. Now that was three years ago and led to a collaboration with a number of interested parties, the Wellington City Council, Historic Places Trust and Iwi, Te Atiawa, Ngāti Tama, Ngāti Tōrangatira and Ngāti Raukawa. Fast forward to 2008, Mariah attended the dawn ceremony at the official opening of the Te Aro Park Visitor Centre. So, Mariah, was it hard getting up at the crack of dawn? Well, put it this way, mate, as my whanau will attest, I'm not a morning person. Anyway, while I was there, I met with Liz Mellish, head of the Wellington Tents Trust. So you knew that there was a part, there was potentially Absolutely. a place like that? Yes, yes, we did. And we did a cultural impact report that highlighted that. What we didn't expect was that they'd still be there. What is fascinating and one of the theories that we're con- certainly considering is that in the earthquake of 1855 that the Furiponga may well have imploded and that the ensuing tsunami would have covered them with beach gravel because they're not on earth, they're in beach gravel and then a building would have been built on top of them. So that's the current theory. Unknowingly. Or maybe knowingly. Unsure. Liz Mellish will be joining Dean Whiting of the Historic Places Trust. Now if you're an arts connoisseur, watch out for these names in the future. Amy Rose Stevenson, Nongati Maro, and Wayana Jones, Note Arawa, Mete Opodi. Both Wahine were recipients of the 2008 Ngakari Hippi Ate or the Creative New Zealand Scholarships, identifying early career art practitioners. Wayana is in her postgraduate year, and Amy Rose is in her second year of her honours tohu. And it's been a personal journey for both as well, with Wayana becoming a mum along the way, and Amy Rose getting by with the help of her mum. And she lives on the smell of an oily rag, so it was really good for her to have a little pot of gold for a change. <laughs> she works really hard. You know, works at hard at her work and also works hard at her employment to keep herself free of, you know, debt. So it's good. Māori male bodybuilder Tafiri Henare hails from a family of ten and is from Palmerston North. Now he got into bodybuilding after he was sidelined due to a ligament injury during a league game. Justine was there at the amateur bodybuilding event and as you'll hear it was definitely Justine's first time 
Yeah, likely. Surrounded by muscly <laughs> men in skimpy speedos. <laughs> so, I'm about to go into the National Amateur Bodybuilding Association event. It's my first time at an event such as this. Hmm, I wonder what my first question will be. So what would, how, what would you describe as your trademark? My trademark would probably be my legs. Legs. Yeah. Nice, muscly men. It's quite the distraction. So much so that my mind goes blank and I lose it just a little. How many, or what's that thing called, leg presses? Leg do you- presses, uh, I do a lot of squats. I'm sort of squatting around 200 kg um, uh. a squat for a small man. So that's twice my weight. So. Oh my goodness. <laughs> then my talk, food. What's your diet like? My diet is basically chicken, kumara, rice wafers, lots of water, um, lots of protein. Let's meet Tafiri Hinare, Māori bodybuilder. Let's talk about your upbringing. Like, um, as a kid, where'd you spend most of your time? Oh, my upbringing, uh, it's a long story. I come from a family of ten. I'm the eighth child in my family. Um, yeah, a bit of a, um, as a Māori family, they've always sort of been drinking and partying hard and I was probably one of those uh, one of those fortunate kids who sort of moved away from it all and very inquisitive from what's happening around the world instead of what's happening in my own backyard and got out and seen things and yes, I've come a long way compared to um, seeing a lot of my other nephews and my nieces and they're still living mm. in the same culture. So, so what made you get out? Uh, I suppose there was um, um, my family probably sort of. Gave me ideas that there it was only us, and I knew there was other friends out there who I thought were um, a lot better than just my family. I'd like to spread my wings a little bit, you know. Um, you just get people, get to know people. Fantastic. So let's talk about. Um, would you call yourself a bodybuilder? I would call, call myself a bodybuilder. Where did it all begin? I used to be um, a rugby league fanatic. I used to play a fair bit of rugby league. I got injured. Um, Back in 97, snapped my crucial ligament. Um, they sent me for physio. Uh, physio sent me back to the gym. Um, some people that I went into the gym saw me there quite uh, frequently and asked me if I wanted to do a competition. Thought they were joking at first. <laughs> Three weeks later, I found myself on stage. Been doing it ever since. Wow, and that was how many years ago? Well, going back to 96 was my first competition. Oh, 12 years. 12 years. I've had a break since then. I um, competed six years straight, and then I um, had um, three little children yeah. to my wife, and I've just started back up this year. Also, six years you sort of haven't been as competitive. Or... Not competitive, no. Yeah, and so let's talk about um, let's talk about Māori within the sports of bodybuilding. Is is there many Māori doing this? Many Māori doing bodybuilding. Men and women. Men and women, they're starting a few, uh, few wahine starting to come through now. Um, they're more older than they are younger um, wahine. Um, our Māori men, I've probably met a couple of young Māori men at this stage. Not too many, though. Um, probably myself would probably be one of the uh, better competitors against the bigger boys on stage at the moment. And how often do you train? I train four times a week. So... <laughs> At the gym? At the gym, probably do 45 to an hour and a half in the gym. What's your advice to, to um, Māori men who perhaps can't afford a gym? What can they do in terms of um, training? Training, I reckon, um, depends what you're getting into. I think um, it's all about your willpower. Set yourself goals. Um, go for your goal. If you don't meet that goal, there's always another door. There's always another door to walk through for young Māori men. 
Have your whanau supported you in this type of um, sport? Yep, my wife has uh, basically supported me. I've got uh, my three young children and standing in front of the mirrors posing as well. So, <laughs> yeah, it's a bit of a um, it's a bit of a catch twenty two. Yeah, I think um, uh, my immediate family. I moved away from home, so they don't know what I really do. I said this is just my sort of buzz and my wife's buzz. So. Yeah. Fantastic. Do you reside in Wellington? I reside in Palmerston North. Oh, okay. So um, you're, you've come down here and you're competing. Now, in terms of competitions, do you have any future goals that you have in mind? Yeah, I have. Um, in the bodybuilding scene, I'd love to get a good sponsor behind me. Um, I'd love to go for um, naturals next year. Um, have a look at um, Miami Beach, try and get over into America. Try and um, get in, in, into the natural side of things and um, go back that way if I can. Tafiri Hinare, a Māori bodybuilder. And yes, we do have some pictures of Tafiri strutting his stuff, which you can see at our website. The address is radionz.co.nz forward slash te ahika. Back to our regular feature, Nakupuho, meaning new words. Body, and there was definitely plenty of them at the recent bodyboarding champs, is tinana. Now, real a tinana is body language. Pohara is poor. This means when you have little money, pohara, and it's not a state that you want to be in constantly. The Māori word for muscle, just watch the difference here, a muscle from the ocean that you can eat is kuku, but a muscle from your body is maihara. Creative is awaha, writing is tuhinga, thus making tuhinga awaha, creative writing. And a kaituhi is the word for writer. Now that's remembering from last week and the weeks past that kai, when you put it in front of a verb, that means a person. So a kai kōrero is a person speaking, a speaker. A kai hanga is a builder. To support someone is tautoko. Support, and as you're about to hear, that's something student Amy Rose Stevenson has had in abundance from her whānau and her studies. Alongside Wayana Jones, Amy Rose was named as the 2008 Emerging Artist by Te Wakatoi. Now this wahine is doing some pretty interesting things with human hair, but it's the $4,000 scholarship that will relieve some of the financial pressure for Stevenson and her whānau, as I found out. Amy Rose Stevenson. I'm Amy Rose Stevenson, and I'm um, well, I live in Palmerston North, um, but I am um, Nati Kungunu in Rongafakata. Um, Nati Pahauera, um, Kimohaka. When you first heard that you receive a, um, a scholarship, how how did you feel, and how did how did you come to hear about it? We all know about the the scholarship, and I was um, able to attend last year and support Ngahina higher, oh, nice. so that was really cool. Um, so I knew about it before and um, applied, and didn't expect to, um, I guess, get um, accepted. So um, it was pretty, pretty amazing to yeah get that call and cool. and um, just be informed that yeah I'd, I'd been accepted for the scholarship. So mm. and so tell us, tell me what you do at, um, at university. I I'm doing my masters um, in Māori visual arts and I'm in my second year. Um, and at the moment I'm um, just working towards a, a final body of work um, to exhibit for my assessment show um, for the year. So. Um, 
I'm working towards that and I've been looking at, um, I use um, hair in my work and um, stitching um, wow. and like to, yeah, it's um, it's really interesting um, <laughs> and just exploring, um, you know, kupu and um, locations where, you, you know, hair is grown on your body and the removal of hair from your body, so... I guess, does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm looking at. It's really, yeah, um, and obviously, um, you know, um, the idea of um, hair and Māori concept of um, hair and what it means. And, wow, yeah. mm. fantastic. And have you always been, um, a, a, say, a child interested in drawing? And, Definitely. Yeah, so <laughs> let's, let's talk about your how that has nurtured you from when you were a tamariki to, to now. Yes. Um, Definitely, I've always been interested in um, doing anything, creating anything. Um, yeah. uh, from an early age, I just really enjoyed drawing, and um, as any child does, I think, mm. um, just enjoy drawing and um, you know getting stuck into the paint, and um, I guess also um, seeing other other artists' work is um, always really inspiring, and I think that's um, that's one of the things that um, I I was inspired by. Um, Definitely Shane Cotton in um, high school. When I got to high school, and you um, do your artist study, and so um, definitely seeing these other artists around who live in New Zealand and who are Māori artists as well, um, that's really inspiring. Yeah. Is there a art? Is there a Māori art community in New Zealand where you yeah, kind of travel yeah. around, like yeah, to Auckland, definitely. and you can hang out with mm. the Māori artists up mm. there and yeah, share definitely. common concepts? There's a nice little network in New Zealand. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, and it's it's really good with um, at, at the Massey at Massey University where I'm at, um, being taught by um, Māori artists. Um, so you get that one-on-one, and you get to know nice. them, and so you go and support people's shows. And um, definitely, there's a there's a really strong um, network. Mm. Yeah. <coughs> Excellent. Mm. Oh, um, I was able to go to. Um, um, conference over in Hawaii and that was really cool but I was able to go to that through Massey University and through being at the um, college and so um, that was I guess a really awesome opportunity. And what was that? It's like a sharing of ideas? Or... Um, it's an Indigenous um, artist wow. convention I think um, is the word. Yeah and it, it was really really awesome. A group from um, Aotearoa went over and um, also indigenous artists from all over the world were there as well um, who have a whole range of practice and um, medium that they work in um, but it, it began in New Zealand so um, and I think it's it's been overseas a couple of times to um, the, the artists that go to this conference to their home countries so fantastic yeah. and mum you're proud obviously yeah, really proud Yes, and so when you heard the news, that oh, she yeah, was, it was great for great for Amy because you know um, students are really poor harder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. So, um, and she lives on the smell of an oily rag, so it was really good for her to have a little pot of gold <laughs> for a change. But she works really hard. She works hard at harder to work and also works hard at her employment to keep herself nice free of you know debt. So it's good. And so how many? How many? You said masters, didn't you? And how many years have has your daughter been studying? And oh, you've six. seen her mum got any two-minute noodles? <laughs> no. Oh yeah, she, she, my kids think my um, pantry is the supermarket. <laughs> We're used to that. <laughs> yeah, no, she's great. She's a great kid. She's always 
always been really creative and we used to think she was a little magpie because she used to collect everything and had all this junk when she was little. But she's amazing. She has an eye for junk and she can turn it into something amazing. Kukere o Terao, Amy Rose, and in next week's program I'll be talking to Wayana Jones. Take a building site for an apartment complex, a property developer, the approved resource consent and cultural audits. Seems straightforward enough. Bring in the wrecking ball and bulldozers, right? Well, that is until you discover intact structures from a pa that existed in the 1800s. Add in three iwi, the Wellington City Council, the Historic Places Trust and the Wellington Tents Trust, you have the formation of what has been described as an example of iwi and government agencies working together successfully. Now, you've gifted some po to the site where Te Arupa is. Could you tell me what the relevance of that is? Yes, uh, we were, uh, were approached last year by the Tenth Trust um, who told us about their, uh, the discovery of the, um, the elements of the, the former past site of Te and uh, that they intended to um, <coughs> to re-excavate um, and, and, and bring the, um, uh, those uh, discoveries uh, to, to the light, to our marama. And they asked us um, whether we would be able to help them with the tōtara that they need to put up uh, panelling and so on so that they could bring the taonga back. And, um, and so uh, running out here we were... We were very happy to be able to kōhāreo rāko that was left over from the building of, uh, of Rangiatea, um, which burned down in 95, uh, October 95, and which uh, opened up again in uh, November 2003. And, um, and so uh, today uh, we've come uh, from Rangiatea, uh, from Motaki, from Kapiti, from the Kapiti coast, um, to Tautoko the Kaupapa this morning. Uh, and also, we um, uh, ring out here is a, is a um, tribal partnership between our three years, Ngāti Tōa, Chatiawa, and uh, Ngāti Rokoa. And so we picked up all of our queer and karaoa on the way, way down. Um, and um, <coughs> um, and the iwi partnership is uh, the partnership with ring out here. So ring out here um, is based on the partnership between the iwi and between the Anglican Church. And, um, and so we were able to come down this morning and, uh, and to see our rako, our, um, our leftover rako, um, brought to light again. And so uh, we've now set up, I think, uh, an injury, enduring relationship between uh, Tararaki Whanui and, uh, and Rangiatea. And it's, um, so it's an honour for us to come today to, to support this, um, this important kaupapa for Tararaki Whanui, but also for all of our... Uh, we, we Māori who reside in, um, in Te Whanganui Atara. Because this type of gifting is, isn't an unusual practice in terms of tikana, Nira? No, no, it's not an unusual practice. Uh, um, when, uh, you know, our, our tūpuna talk about um, the mahaki or passing on the gifts and giving them the, the new life, and um, and so we, we had our surplus rako at Rangiate, and by by gifting this koa across to 
uh, to our Taranaki whanui. It's now rejuvenated the life in those Rako. And also, um, it's also a strength in the Whakapapa League, I think, between Taranaki Fano and, and, um, and uh, Ngāti Raukawa, Ngāti Tua and Ngāti Awa. Of course, Ngāti Awa ki Pakarongotai, and the Taranaki Fano are already uh, one iwi anyway. Uh, ko Tararua te, te maunga, uh, o Taki Te Awa, uh, Raukawa te iwi, uh, Tainui Te Waka, uh, ko Te Wari Kaki Tōku Ingoa. So today uh, you visited the Te Arupa site for the first time. What relevance does it have for you as someone of Raukawa descent? He hui tino whakahirahira tēnei. Nā te mea kua hura te papa, ke kita ai tātou ngā āhuatanga e pāna ki o tātou mātua tūpuna. I te wāi o rāi rātou, e noho wāi rātou i runga i te 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 marae o te aro. Koe rā, he, he kitenga uh, whānui tēnei mō, mō tātou, mō te iwi Māori. Uh, me, me te whakaro, kei rotu i au uh, e pāna ki ngā wāhi tapu. Uh, te nuinga o ngā wāhi tapu kua, uh, kua, kua hora uh, I, te, I te whenua. Uh, nā te mahi o, o enei wā, ka pakaru ngā wahi tapu i te mahi o, o ngā developers pēr. Mm. Uh, tēnei... I te tau... O i ngā tau kua pahuri ake nei. Uh, ko tēnei uh, wahi tapu, uh, uh, kei, te, kei te ora anō te, te wairua o, o a tātou mātua tūpuna. Uh, I wainga nui te taone nui o, o pōneke, he rere kē tēnei wāhi tapu ki ngā wāhi tapu uh, i waho atu i te taone. Uh, he he kaupapa nui tēnei. Mō tātou te iwi Māori. In your oral histories, have you got a zero remembrance to... and a reference to this pa? Ai, i mōhi o mātou uh, kei konei te iwi o Taranaki. Uh, mai, mai te taenga mai o ngā ngā rangatira o Taranaki ki, ki tēnei takiwā. Noho ana rātou i runga i tēnei uh, marae o te aro, me ngā marae maha hurino i te, I te whanganui ātara. Uh, koe rā ngā, whak, ngā kōrero tukuiho o mātou tūpuna, uh, kei pōneke o kei te whanganui ātara i, I, I auara ko te whanganui ātara tēnei. Uh, ngā Ngā wehewehinga o Taranaki e noho ana. Kia ora, I'm Liz Mellish, Executive Officer for the Wellington Tents Trust. The Wellington Tents Trust is, an, is the Iwi Authority in Wellington in the Hutt Valley. And what it does, it manages the remnant land that was left from the supposed sale with the New Zealand Company in 1839. And why it's called the Tents Trust is because the kaupapa of the New Zealand Company was to put pepper pot Māori on every tenth acre. Uh, you know, it was the new theory about colonising and, and not putting the savages in a reservation but to assimilate them into the local population. It was a stunning failure. And the managing of the land um, was done by government departments we have now um, 
taken over since 1987 to manage the asset ourselves. And we have lands in Wellington and, and, and in the Hutt Valley. And we manage that on behalf of our beneficial owners who are descendants of Te Arupa, Pipitia, Pakuau, Te Akiwai, Kaiwharawhara, Nauranga, Pitaone, Hikoikoi, Waiwutu, all of those powers of the inner harbour, all of those four tribes, that is Te Atiawa, Ngāti Ruanui, Taranaki Tuturu and Ngāti Taumans. Now with the, um, with the site, is it, is, am I to understand that there was a relationship that in order for the developer to start developing the site, that a relationship was in place beforehand? Yes, it certainly was. That's really a result of the work we've done with the Wellington City Council and on their district plan, recording sites of significance in Tiara was recorded on the plan. Um, and so we had met the developer and in fact we had undertaken rituals when the buildings that were on there, which were European buildings of course, were demolished to make way for the new development. And that was done in July 2005 and undertaken by our co Uncle Sam and Auntie June Jackson. So you knew that there was a par- there was potentially Absolutely. a parasite there? Yes, yes, we did. And we did a cultural impact report that highlighted that. What we didn't expect was that they'd still be there. What is fascinating and one of the theories that we're con- certainly considering is that in the earthquake of 1855 that the Furiponga may well have imploded and that the ensuing tsunami would have covered them with beach gravel, because they're not on earth, they're in beach gravel, and then a building would have been built on top of them. So that's the current theory, unknowingly, or maybe knowingly, unsure. But certainly in one of the sites, in one of the Whareponga, you can see the Totara um, foundation for the next building on top of the Whare, on top of the Ponga. It's an amazing story. When I first saw the site, that was extremely emotional. And it was... uh, It it caused tangi, it caused all of those things. And at that point, the only thing staring us in the face was that it would be demolished. And so that was even more concerning. Um, We explored the avenue of, of uplifting the whare, and preserving them and then putting them somewhere. But it was very clear that that wasn't what should happen. So, so, you know, the difficulties of working through that, we had to look at all the options, and we certainly did. And so that required quite some painstaking work and research to, to, to consider what might happen, as well as the negotiation with the developer, with the council, with the architects, with the... Historic Places Trust to come to a better solution because they're so unique. And what was interesting for me, my father had built a whareponga at our home in the Wairarapa and at first the connection for me, you hadn't made that connection. When I made that connection it was even more interesting. you know. And, and ponga is an interesting material because it's not wood 
it doesn't rot in the same way so that it's clearly there you can clearly see the design and as well as that it has an insulating property because because of its roundness and because of the air that travels so you know our people were probably far more wiser than we have given them credit for when it was decided that in actual fact that building would not commence because of the excavation and what was unearthed that was going to have an effect on the guys who worked for the construction company most of those young men were Māori and we were very mindful of that when we were considering what a solution could be and we certainly considered whether we took the artefacts off site so that building could continue and those people could continue and work and there's a legal obligation under the building contract for the building to commence um, and we were mindful that a lot of those workers were Māori and they had families and this was Christmas 2005 um, however, we did work with the construction company and they were able to employ them in jobs in other areas while we negotiated with council to change the design of the building and do the resource consent process again and the building consent process and all those technical things that are, that are necessary to um, build a building and to change structurally the whole shape of the building so that the sites could be preserved um, and all the way through the Māori staff have been very respectful very keen to understand what it is, some of them some extremely nervous and at times we went down to the site just to talk them through what it was about and what our vision was so that they felt safe but interestingly enough it wasn't only the Māori staff um, on the construction site, but it was also some of the other staff who needed reassurance that things were OK. So on more than one occasion, Komato, myself, Mark Tioni would go down and, and we would work with those people just to um, make sure that they were OK to work. Oh, kia ora, my name is Dean Whiting. I uh, work at the Historic Places Trust and I'm uh, one of the um, pauarahi that work there um, uh, within the Māori Heritage Team. Now, what was the Historic Places Trust's involvement in the unearthing of the Te Arupa site? Well, when it started back in 2005, it was really uh, part of our uh, regulatory function, which is actually administering our act in terms of archaeological sites and for Te Aro Pa it was essentially trying to record if there were any remains of Te Aro, that that process be undertaken. What of course that happened though was there was a much more significant find in terms of actually whole whareponga being discovered so it turned from being this sort of process of trying to record or even find any sort of um, remains of the site to actually trying to preserve whole structures and that remain there. I mean, but how does it happen? I mean, you've got your bulldozer in, and then what? Do you see something poking out, or, or can you describe that process? Um, what I understand is that at the time um, that the, they had an archaeologist who was actually doing the, um, the assessment work, just looking for any signs that were there, 
and while they were scraping the site down, very carefully they would go to different sections on it and just do um, go down a couple of centimetres and just look for any changes in the um, texture of the soil or something like that. Once there was something that looked a bit unusual, um, they'd stop work and then the archaeologists um, would actually um, start to excavate that area to try and uncover it. So it was a very quite painstaking process um, just to ensure that nothing was damaged if they did find it. So it wasn't a, you know, going in and actually scraping the whole thing and then seeing what's at the bottom. It was quite a uh, you know, systematic, systematic approach. So what kind of significance does it hold actually finding an intact... Yeah, I mean, Tiaropa has many angles to it, and, and I suppose from the kind of archaeological perspective, they're very rare sites. Um, you don't often find uh, remains of punga structures like these because generally they've they've decayed away, they've disappeared over time, in a, probably a very short period of time. Something like that was buried, there might be 20, 20 years, and you wouldn't find much. But here there were certain conditions that prevailed. One was that... Um, the soils that, well they're not actually soils, they're actually gravels from an old beach um, where these buildings stood um, were fairly dry and when the uh, 1908 building uh, was constructed on the site it actually covered over them, put a kind of a lid on top of them so that again protected from the continual moisture from, you know, from rain runoff and that going through those gravels so they were fairly dry um, under that building until they were revealed in 2005 so you sort of had a unique situation there where they remained here. Because I mean when you look at it it's actually almost bang in the middle of one of Wellington's most busiest streets it seems you know some kind of time things occurred here. Yeah yeah and that's the other thing you would have thought that when they put the 1908 building on, they would have actually completely cleared that site. But what appears to have happened is that they, because they had a fairly light foundation, it just skimmed over the top and didn't actually intrude into the space where the Tiaro wall was probably down, I don't know, half a metre or so. Um, but, yeah, I mean, a road went through the par that's now called Taranaki Street. Um, so there, were, there could have been, there might be some sites, you know, along the edges of that still... Um, but you know the, the amount of act- building activity in the you know central part of Wellington, very unlikely you'd find something. But hey, there they were. Yeah. So Dean, this is a farepunga. Mm. Now, what would what's the likelihood that of what that would have been used for? Well, we can't say exactly what they were used for. Um, I mean, on a par like that, there would have been a number of structures. Um, some were for sleeping, like Farepuni. Some would have been for storing things. Some, you know, like little kota. Um, so we haven't been able to, well, the archaeologists haven't been able to sort of pin that down as yet. Um, they're still doing some analysis work on material. But, um, you know, you can say it is part of that whole complex. You know, it's, uh, it's not... Uh, uh, the fact that they exist represents that. So whatever they were used for, the greater value is in that they are part of the par. So in terms of its discovery on a nationwide scale? Mm. It's unique. It's very rare. Um, Like I said before, the fact that they remained, they were in that sort of unique preservation, um, you know, would be very hard to find again. Um, So... Yeah, they're unique in that way. But I think the interesting thing about it is that, that sort of contrast between that old history, that old part of the city that still remains underneath it, 
contrasting with the modern you know, Wellington that sits on top. I think for people that um, sparks a lot in their sort of interest in them about uh, how, how things have changed so much, you get that kind of neat contrast in there. But the other thing important about Te Aro is that it's one of the few sites that remain from that period, you know, for Te Atiawa in, in, in the inner city because uh, at Kumutoto, at Pipitia, a lot of those areas have been modified greatly, you know, when the terrace was levelled out and all that material was pushed down into the reclamation area of the harbour. All those old sites have probably gone, um, but here we have Tiaro, which has kind of missed all of that. You know, so um, yeah, that makes it quite rare and, and important. How how did it feel for you today when you were there this morning? Oh, it's great. It's fantastic. I think it's a really significant um, development to uh, uh, you know, finally uncover. A part of Tiaro Park, because I know a lot about Tiaro Park, because uh, you know my own family had my own old people were were living there, and um, and so I've I've followed through with a lot of um, research and. So this exists in your oral histories, mention of this path. Yep. Yep. So what were some of the things that you know about it? Well, it, not just oral history. I mean, it, it's also. Um, there's a lot of manuscript material on, on about Tiarupa. Well, our um, several of our hapu were living in in Tiarupa, and um, when Port, you see when Paul Murray left Wellington in 1835 with Ngāti Mutunga to go back to the Chathams, um, he handed over the mana whenua to um, hapu from Taranaki Iwi and Ngāti Tupaya, and um, so those hapu um, were in occupation of Te Aro Pā and then in 1839 um, Minarapa Te Rangihatuake um, came down from he'd been taken prisoner in one of the uh, Waikato Ngāpui raids into Taranaki in the 1820s in 1839 he he came into Wellington Harbour from um, the Bay of Islands where he had been put through the missionary um, college, school. He was one of the first three Māori missionaries um, and Ngāpuhi supported him to come down here and find his people. He came into the Wellington Harbour and I think it was in August 1839 and, um, and was rejoined with his people at Te Aropā he then he then negotiated the uh, purchase of of a piece of land associated with Tauro and built the first church here in Wellington um, in 1839 and then um, he he left in um, in um, January 1840 to go to Waikanae with um, sections of his of his uh, uh, Taranaki people. I'm talking Taranaki Iwi. Um, to um, try and negotiate in terms of the defence of Waikanae and, uh, against the um, the raid, uh, the war that was going to happen between um, the Taranaki people in Waikanae and uh, Ngāti Rokau and Ngāti Tūwharetua. After that, he um, returned to Taranaki and he he um, he built a church at Rahotu, at his pa at Rahotu, at his home, 
and he um, preached on the Taranaki coast and led, led the people on the Taranaki coast for the next 20 years. Um, but also there are a lot of, there are a lot of manuscripts. So there's, the, there's those manuscripts, which are family manuscripts. Um, and then, but then there are also a lot of, there's also a lot of manuscript material available about Te Aropa, which is held in the Alexander and the National, uh, Turnbull in the National Library. Um, particularly around the time when uh, the land was being surveyed. Um, and those are all interesting documents too because they will give you a picture of people's lives uh, in terms of what was going on. So to come down and be part of the opening ceremony for me was um, pretty important and significant. It sounds like just a, a reaffirmation of your presence here. Yeah, sure. But I've all, you know, whenever I walk along Courtney Place, I'm, I always say to whoever's with me, "Well, I'm home," you know. And we cross over the Taranaki Street intersection, and I say, "Well, you know, we're we're in the heart of our home," you know. And we look people in the eye and say, "Well, hey." Yeah. And uh, we look at strangers and we think, um, "Gee, wonder where these people come from," <laughs> you know. But it, we, it just makes us feel at home. Yeah. So it's really neat, I think, that um, the developer. The, the developers have um, done this, have done this um, significant and meaningful um, transfer of the of that um, uh, basement of the building, transformed it into um, something that the public can see and um, and open up the um, the observer to you know considering um, what went on here in the 19th century. And earlier, yeah. So, Tim Mettinger, what are your views on that it's basically becoming a tourist attraction? I don't think it becomes a tourist attraction. I mean, I think it becomes a visitor attraction. Um, it, and I think that's a good thing, because as I say, um, when people observe these things, it creates um, interest and dialogue and further research and... Uh, and opens people's minds to being, to take them past just a, a, a place of inquisitiveness. Dean Whiting, nor Tifanua Apanui, and Liz Mellish, nor Tiatiawa. At our website, radionz.co.nz forward slash tahika, there's a longer piece featuring Te Hopehakaraya, Te Wari Kaakik, and Te Meringa Hohaya with their iwi perspectives. Anaira ate makarini temara menga fakamarama ote fakatauki. Ekia na te tahi korero fakatauki itirea rea teitei kahikatea kataia. E korero mote manu te manu nea te rea rea e manu iti te ne. Engari aquato na manu iti e manu iti te rea rea kataia eia. Te whakāwea weiāia ki nā teitei tano terani. Ākua ia he kahikatea kai te whakahuahia i roto i te whakatauki ko te kahikatea tētahi o nā rākau rangatia te ngahere. Nō reira āwhoa te kōrero kai te kōrero mo te kahikatea. Tērā ko te whakatauki te wairua te whakatauki e kōrero kia na mo te mātaurana. 
Now we return to our normal scheduling next week. We'll be back at you in our slot of 6 o'clock Sunday evening and returning to our one-hour format. Woohoo! Woohoo! Hey, tēra wiki, hoki mai anō. Mauri ora! ora.